Welcome to the Tennessee Achieves podcast, dedicated to and inspired by our students who for over a decade have broken cycles, conquered obstacles, overcome barriers, and exceeded expectations. In turn, our students have also inspired Tennessee Achieves, a nonprofit designed to increase the percentage of Tennessee students earning a college credential. Operating in partnership with Tennessee Promise, Tennessee Achieves works with thousands of high school students each year as they transition to and through college. We believe successful students result in thriving communities. The Tennessee Achieves podcast will share stories of students, their mentors who provide encouragement, and our countless partners who contribute to this movement. Each meant to leave you a bit smarter about transitioning from high school to college and a bit shrewder about navigating college. No one loves Tennessee Achieves more than me. Here we go. Today we have a really exciting topic with a really exciting panel about leadership. We have three leaders here at Tennessee Achieves, two of our founding board members, um, really two of the creators of the Tennessee Achieves program, which has led to Tennessee Promise. And then the executive director who has been our executive director since the beginning of Tennessee Achieves. Um, three people I know that I've learned a ton from, this is Graham Thomas at Tennessee Achieves, but three people that I've learned a lot from um, over my 11 year career at Tennessee Achieves. We have um, Randy Boyd, who is the chairman at Tennessee Achieves. He's also the president at the University of Tennessee. Mike Ragsdale, who's a founding board member, created the program as mayor of Knox County, um, is president at Tennessee Strategies. And then Chrissy D'Alejandro, who is the executive director of Tennessee Achieves. And today we're going to talk to you about leadership, a topic I think that you will have an opportunity to really learn a lot with our panel today. So to our panelists, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Graham. Appreciate it. Thanks, Graham. Glad to be with you and, and with Mike and Chrissy. Great to hear you guys. Yeah, I think we're gonna have fun today. Um, just to start out, Randy, we can start with you if you'd like. Um, how about you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, um, where you went to college, or for all of you, I think you've all been to more than one college, um, which degrees you have earned, um, and maybe just a brief summary of your career. Okay, uh, so Randy Boyd, born in South Knoxville, went to Doyle High School, uh, first one in my family's history to go to college, went to the University of Tennessee at Knoxville, ran injection molded machines, paid my way through uh, college, graduated at age 19, uh, started my first business at 23, uh, had a couple of failures along the way, and then had a, a fairly big success when I turned 30 with a company called Radio Systems that makes invisible fence and pet safe. Been doing running that company for 30 years now, and uh, along the way, I've got some great people that do all the important work and have allowed me to uh, volunteer my time and resources to other great causes like the University of Tennessee and and nothing greater than Tennessee Achieves. That sounds great. Thanks, Randy. Mayor Ragsdale, what about you? I grew up in Cleveland, Tennessee, and like Randy and Chrissy, I'm a first-generation college student. Uh, my mom finished the ninth grade. My dad graduated from high school, but they were very intent on me going to college. So in the fall of 1971, I started at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, got my bachelor's degree there, had a scholarship uh, to go to the master's program at Auburn University and got a master's at Auburn and then came back to the University of Tennessee, actually went to work at Pell City State Community College and then finished my doctorate in education at uh, UT Knoxville. 
Great. Thanks, Mayor. Chrissy? Yes. Also, first generation. So how fun that there's a leadership podcast with three first generation students. I grew up in Warren County, Tennessee, McMinnville, Tennessee, uh, graduated from high school there, landed at the University of the South, Swanee, uh, and also at the University of Tennessee, where I was a doctoral student. Uh, from there, I stumbled my way into Mike Ragstell's office asking for an internship. I wanted to learn more about how local government worked. The mayor will tell you I was late uh, and also uh, had no idea where I was going. I thought I was looking for a building called the White Castle as opposed to the Dwight Kessel parking lot. So all sorts of missteps along the way. Uh, we launched Knox Achieves in the mayor's office the mayor was term limited, and I moved from his office to a company called Radio Systems Corporation, where Randy was the CEO and chairman at the time. And then we partnered with the state in 2014 to begin operating the Tennessee Promise. So 12 years with Knox Chiefs and, and Tennessee Chiefs. Great. Well, thank you guys all for that introduction. I think my favorite thing about this webinar, Christy kind of stole some of my thunder here, is that... We have three Tennesseans um, from three different parts of the state, all the first in their family to go to college, uh, which is the student that we strive to serve here at Tennessee Achieves. And so for our audience today, Tennessee Achieves and Tennessee Promise students, um, you know, I think there's a lot to learn from this panel. Um, and if you're ever wondering if you can make it to be the president of your own company or executive director of a nonprofit, we've got three examples here today to talk to us a little bit about how they did that. Randy, let's start out with you. Um, starting a business as a young entrepreneur. You talked a little bit in your introduction about launching a couple of businesses um, where you maybe had some struggles, but what did you learn about leadership um, in those early years, maybe through the struggles and then through the success launching radio systems, which would turn into be a, a multi-million dollar multinational company? Well, it's a broad question. I've learned a lot of things over the last 30, counting the, the, the early years of struggling, the last 40 years, uh, but I'll, I'll just say one thing. I've studied uh, leadership and, and success in business and other organizations uh, for my, all my life. And I've read lots of books. I've watched people uh, try to model after other great leaders. And the one thing I've found is there's a, every person has a different path to success. You know, whatever strategy or, or uh, uh, organizational dynamics that you study about, like having a transparent organization, moving decisions to the front line, empowering uh, collaboration, all, all those positive things that you hear about. Um, I can always find an example of somebody that did a, the exact opposite and was wildly successful. But the one thing that I found that every leader that I've ever met that was successful had in common was persistence. Uh, this this uh, undefeatable uh, determination to, to, to be successful. Everybody that I've ever met that's been successful has struggled, has stumbled, has had some failures. But what defines them as opposed to those that aren't successful is they just keep picking themselves up and uh, and, and moving forward. And so uh, for, I guess the, we can talk about a lot of things and we can talk about more later, but the, probably the most important thing is just never give up Have a, and, and uh, be persistent. Randy, you talk about being persistent and that never give up attitude. You hear a lot of leaders talk about how they learn more from their failures than they do the, from their successes. Have you found that to be true in your career? Oh, oh, absolutely. We we talk about that at my company 
all the time that uh, that we, we you definitely learn more from your failures than you do from your successes. Uh, oftentimes, your successes give you a, a sense of, uh, of self confidence or potentially uh, uh, an illusion of uh, infallibility, which is, is never correct. So uh, we always learn more from our, our failures. And one of the things I encourage young people to do is to get out and get started and get a failure or two out of the way early. You never want to start anything thinking you're going to fail, but you're going to. It, but you, you just have to you have to try a lot of stuff and keep all works. Just make sure that your failures are, are ones that you can you can uh, survive. Uh, so man, uh, if you're going to fail, fail early, fail fast, uh, and, and, and learn, and, and then keep moving. You just said one of my favorite things I think I've learned from you over the last 11 years. When Chrissy and I and the Tennessee Chiefs were working at Radio Systems, you had your values on the board, and one of them was try, and it's try a lot of things and keep what works. And I think it's something that we've stolen from Radio Systems, and I'll let Chrissy pipe in if she would like to. But why, why do you think that's such an important value? Well, if you're going to be successful, you're going to have to be innovative. And if you're going to be innovative, you're going to have to try some things that may not work. And if you try things that may not work, it means you're going to fail. It's kind of an ironic thing to think about, but if you're going to be successful in the long term, you have to be willing to fail in the short term. And and the only way you, you do that is by encouraging people to, to um, try. I can tell you uh, now in the public space, both going from government uh, to now higher education, that's uh, antithetical. It's not something that uh, people in higher education in particular are used to thinking about, trying things and being uh, willing and, and accepting that you might fail. And so encouraging that uh, a different culture of innovation and um, entrepreneurship is is, uh, is one of the things that I'm going to be working on over the next several years. But I think Chrissy and Mike can speak to this. Both of them have had uh, experiences of things that didn't work, but uh, they've, they've persisted on and been wildly successful. And Chrissy, do you want to talk about why at Tennessee Achieves we've taken that um, value and why it's such a part of our culture now? Absolutely. So we did. It was a direct lift off of a poster at Radio Systems that I stared at every day for the nearly four years that we were there operating Tennessee Achieves. And so it was always, I've always felt incredibly lucky to be supported at Tennessee Achieves by Board of Directors that embraces the idea of taking risks. So I think one of the reasons Tennessee Achieves continues to be successful is that we listen to our students and we're willing to take pivots. So if it's working, great, let's pour gasoline on it. But if it's not working, we're very comfortable in the space of saying we tried it. It didn't necessarily work. We weren't moving the needle quite the way that we hoped. Uh, and so let's try something new. And so I feel like, especially in the times that we're in now, the last two weeks have been rooted in try a lot of things and keep what works, but it's certainly been a value that has carried us forward as we move from Knox Achieves to Tennessee Achieves. It's it's also my favorite radio systems value as well. Yeah, I think it makes it exciting to come to work every day when you're willing to take some of those calculated risk. Uh, Mayor, what about you? You started your career at Mississippi State. What did you learn as a young professional about um, becoming a leader and leading a team and, and maybe some of these things that Randy and Chrissy have talked about and trying things and maybe some failures and what you've learned along the way? Well, uh, at age 29, I was a, a dean at Mississippi State Community College. So there were uh, lots of trying times being that young because most of the time the folks that I managed and worked with were much older than me. I learned about communications there from two standpoints. I was always reasonably articulate, 
But there are two sides to communication. The second side is equally as important as being articulate, and that is, are you a good listener? And I'll never forget one day an older person on my staff came up to me and said, you know, you're one of the more articulate people I've ever met. And I said, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And he also followed it up by saying, you may be one of the worst listeners I've ever met as well. And years and years later, that's really stuck with me. So I've always tried to be a good listener as well as a good communicator, because if you're not listening, you're certainly not learning anything. Following up on leadership, I have noticed over the years when you look at people who are really successful leaders, I think they typically have three traits. One is that they're almost always prepared. They rarely get caught off guard because they know where they want to go. They've done their homework. They're prepared. Secondly, they're optimistic. No one wants to be around someone who is negative. And I think to follow up on what Chrissy said, particularly in this era that we're in right now, we need optimistic leaders, not pessimistic leaders. That doesn't mean you sugarcoat things, but it's find good things that are kind of going to be ahead of you in the future and focus on those. And the last thing is to Randy's point, I don't think great leaders give up. They don't quit. It doesn't say when an idea is totally gone bad, you discard it and look for something else. But that persistence, that stick to is so very important in leadership. And uh, those three things, you got to be optimistic, you got to be prepared, and don't quit when you hit a bad bump in the road. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And I think something you've all talked about is sticking sticking with it and having that can-do attitude. Um, Randy, I know one of the things that a lot of people struggle with is change and growth and not consistently doing things the same way. You talked about how um, in higher ed, it seems to be kind of a trend that a lot of institutions kind of operate business as usual. Um, I'm sure there are times at radio systems where you had periods of a lot of growth and a lot of change very quickly. What is it like to lead through change like that? Oh, one of the things that you've always got to do is have a have a mission that everyone is um, excited about achieving. We always say a great mission lives between the probable and the impossible. The probable is a mission that um, uh, is, is something that if you just show up for work every day and you do your job, you'll achieve. It's, it's a reasonable mission, but it's not very exciting. And the uh, impossible mission would be something that nobody believes in. So a great mission lives somewhere in between that, something that is above and beyond what you would do on a normal day. Uh, you'd have to, to come up with something new to, to help you achieve it, but it's just within the realm of possibility. And if your associates, your team believes in that mission, they're excited about that mission, they'll they'll withstand the the changes that they'll have to go through to get there because they believe in the in the greater good. But nobody really likes change. I, I could, we used to uh, joke about it. You know, if I if I walked into the room with all my employees and said, "Great news, everybody! I've gonna we're gonna do we're gonna." change everything today. Uh, the, everybody's first place that they go is negative uh, because they're worried that it might change something uh, uh, that's not in, in their benefit. So getting people and creating a culture uh, that accepts change is, is hard, but uh, and, and it takes a lot of selling and a lot of uh, buy-in. So um, uh, one of the things we, we, we spend a lot of time doing is, is communicating and making sure that everybody has a say. And if people can have a say in the change, they have felt like that they had some some contribution to it. They're much more likely to to support it. You talk about being having this mission and being mission driven. I've also heard you talk many many times about having the big goals um, that you want to accomplish. Are those to you? Are those kind of the same? Are they similar? Do they work together? Um, and then maybe talk a, a little bit about when you are um, creating these big goals, like the drive to fifty five or 
becoming the most pet friendly city in the country in Knoxville. How do you how do you set those? Are they I know it's rooted in data, but can you talk a little bit about that process? Well, you look for something that you you would again you would aspire uh, to to be, uh, and uh, it's something that is between the probable and the impossible. Something that will uh, energize people, that uh, will get them excited. For, I'll, I'll use the current one, uh, which is at the University of Tennessee. We have uh, declared that we are going to make this the greatest decade in the history of the University of Tennessee. So that's the mission. Um, we believe that's uh, not. Uh, uh, being disrespectful of those that came before us, we believe that our predecessors expect us to make it a better decade. And but we also know that it's a really high uh, bar because we've had some great decades in our 225 years. And so that's the mission: make this the greatest decade. Now the objectives will be very specific, measurable things that we need to do. For example, enrollment growth. Here's a challenging one: Andy Holt from 1960 to 1970 grew enrollment by 300 percent from a 11,700 uh, students to 37,400 students. Now, I'm not sure how we go about doing that, but uh, we have to think differently about the way in which we approach our our, our enrollment and, and who we are as an organization. But it, that would be, I guess, an example. Come up with a, a, a mission that is inspiring, that uh, makes people want to be a part of it, and then you create the objectives that are also challenging but that are measurable and that if you accomplish will help you achieve that mission. Yeah, uh, 300% growth. That's a lot in just a few years there. Chrissy, um, you started your career in the mayor's office. Um, talk to us a little bit. A term that we still hear a lot about is servant leadership and working for county government. You are not working to make a profit, but you're working to serve the people of Knox County. What did you learn in that role? I learned so much that carries with me today. I mean, Obviously, both of the guys on this call have been mentors to me since I, the mayor took a chance on a 24-year-old who was late to her interview for an internship. So that'll give you some insight into sort of how I stumbled into, in many ways, where I am today. But the mayor touched on the idea of listening, and I think that's something that we talk about at Tennessee Achieves often, is that many students feel as if the college going process, for example, is intimidating, it's scary. And oftentimes they want someone to listen as opposed to be there with all the answers or preach to them about what they should know or talk to them about how they can become savvier students. And so we talk often at Tennessee Achieves about the art of listening. And I learned that by answering the phone. My internship was um, not glamorous in many ways, but I learned so much. I answered the phone, uh, constituent calls about potholes and all sorts of different things that probably didn't feel incredibly important to me as a 24-year-old at the time, but it was oftentimes the most important thing happening for that constituent, and it taught me patience. Um, you're probably laughing because I tend to not be a very patient human being, but I really try when I talk to students and families now, and I still do every day on the phone, to not only be a good listener, but also to practice that patience, to, to understand that oftentimes if um, they're upset or frustrating, it's coming from a place of uh, the unknown, uh, a place that is often intimidating and scary. And I, I learned that 
I also learned from both Randy and the mayor the importance of growing and cultivating new leaders. It's something that I think about every day at Tennessee Achieves that it oftentimes, as you know, we're bringing in um, individuals who are recent graduates just right out of college. And so I feel incredibly responsible to give back to the people who dedicate their time to our students and who spend their days at Tennessee Achieves to grow and cultivate and stretch them and to create environment, an environment where their ideas are heard and where, as Randy said, we're sort of trying to create this North Star where everyone is student-centric and everyone's bought into mission, but everyone also has a say in the direction of where we're headed. And I think that's what keeps us on our toes. I mean, I'm 40 and I know nothing about social media. And I feel like every time we hire a new crop of individuals at Tennessee Achieves, they bring so much to that space. And so uh, fresh eyes to the program is always welcome. And I really learned that at both uh, the mayor's office as well as um, with Randy at Radio Systems. Chrissy, I like how you and Mayor Ragsdale both talked a lot about listening um, is an important part of leadership. You tell um, a story, I guess, some advice that the mayor gave you early in your career. You willing to share that with the audience today? Uh, sure. So very early in my days, I think being a first generation student and in the mayor's office serving as deputy chief of staff in many ways was my first real job. I was I was teaching as a doctoral student at UT and then later at Mississippi. But um, it was my first real job. And as the mayor said, at 29, uh, he was often managing individuals uh, older than him. And I was in a similar space in the mayor's office, but I was 25 years old. And so I think I had a, a real deep desire to prove myself and to often show how smart I was. And if you could see me, that's air quotes. Um, and what I quickly learned is that I, I really didn't bring as much to the table as I initially thought. And I was in a meeting where my directive was to take notes and, and to listen and to learn. And I decided that I should speak up, um, really knowing nothing, but again, having this pit in my stomach to need to prove myself and show that I belonged in the room. And the mayor pulled me aside after and was very kind and said, for the next six months, you are tasked with listening, really listening and trying to understand uh, workforce development and economic impact, which was later handed to me as, as a very big project and later resulted in Knox Achieves, which has been life-changing for me. But uh, it was really great advice. He told me, unless I was bursting, I remember on the inside that I shouldn't talk and that I should really listen. And it was great advice. And I, I still give that advice often to the individuals who come to Tennessee Achieves. We're willing to take you anywhere. We want you to learn. But your job, especially in the first six months, is to really listen uh, unless you're bursting on the inside. So thanks for that, Mayor. You're welcome. Perfect transition, Mayor. I was going to talk to you a little bit about you served, um, I think, two terms on the county commission, if I remember correctly, two terms as mayor. Um, so a little bit different than what we've been talking about um, so far today, but more leading in that public sector, um, serving constituents in Knox County. What did you learn before that that you were able to take into the mayor's office? But what did you learn um, in that role as the executive of a county? You know, um, public service has been a wonderful opportunity for me. I've enjoyed it tremendously. And I'll never forget in my first campaign for county commission in 1990, 
I would go by people's doors and just introduce myself, knock on the door, introduce yourself. And I was telling them I was running for county commission. I was 35 years old at the time. And it was so enlightening to listen to people. And amazingly, people could ascertain very quickly whether you truly cared about them or not. And if, and if you do care, that's going to lead to great success for you because you're always going to have people's interest at heart and trying to be moving in the right direction. So public service was really good. The eight years I served on county commission in a legislative body allowed me to learn a great deal to take to the mayor's office. I knew that we needed some really bold goals and being term limited, and you knew you had an eight-year window there, you wanted to accomplish some things very quickly. So you knew you were going to make some mistakes along the way, and we did, but we also achieved some great things. But we had a very simplistic message. It was like, we want to do these four things really, really well. We want to give children an opportunity to go to a great school, get a great education. We wanted to create new and better jobs for our citizens. Third goal was we wanted to make certain that our seniors and our veterans were taken care of. They are very special people in every community. So consequently, that was important to us. And our fourth goal was we wanted to make our government better every day. So we set out some very specific tasks that we wanted people to accomplish and encouraged them to do this and showed them what we wanted to achieve and why it was important to citizens in our community. And consequently, we had some great success in doing that. But I think if you're goal-oriented and you're focused you can achieve some great things. I think if you just sort of uh, it, it's take every day uh, one at a time, but with a goal at the end of that day, you're going to be successful. But if you don't have any plans and you're not prepared, I think you just sort of find yourself floundering around oftentimes not getting anything done. Mayor, I think one of the knocks sometimes about government is that it moves really slow, but it sounds like you set an agenda to get things done quickly. Um, how did you how did you manage to do so much of those th of the things you wanted to accomplish in, in such a short amount of time? We weren't afraid of making mistakes. We, uh, as Randy sort of alluded to and Chrissy as well, we knew we were going to make some mistakes along the way. But our thought was, if we don't make some mistakes, we're not going to achieve anything either. So we just kept pressing ahead. So when we made a mistake, we said, OK, that didn't work well. Let's forget it and get on to something else. And that served us very well. We never came into a meeting and said, woe is me, or the newspaper's talking about us badly, or uh, this one didn't really go right. We sort of put that mistake behind and pressed ahead to some things that we could achieve very, very well. So I'm really proud that we were able to do that and, and accomplish that during the administration. The other thing that's important about leadership is surrounding yourself with really good people. You need to surround yourself with folks who are smart. Uh, who are articulate, who are driven, and they do not necessarily have to agree on everything. In my administration, we had both Republicans and Democrats. Each of them contributed equally, and their opinions were valued equally. So that's surrounding yourself with really good folks, I think, is a critically important factor as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not always great if you're the smartest person in every room, right? Well, I was rarely the smartest person in any room, and it may have been when I was the only person in the room, but uh, going back to the University of Tennessee. I think we can all relate to that, Mayor. <laughs> Randy, you, you commented earlier about Andy Holt. Uh, Dr. Holt's, one of his great sayings was, you know, uh, I want to surround myself with people who are smarter than me and then let them do their own thing. 
and just keep me clued into what you're doing and let me know what you're doing. And we're going to have some great successes here. And I think when you look back, Andy Holt was a great leader at the University of Tennessee, and uh, he was a goal setter. And this decade that we're getting ready to go through at UT now is going to be successful because we have goals. We know where we're headed. We know where we want to go. It's going to work out great. I like that the conversation keeps, it seems like it keeps coming back uh, around certain things, listening, goal setting, uh, not being afraid to fail and trying a lot of things. Um, one of the other things that we've talked a little bit about now is um, some of this serving the public. Um, what, you know, Tennessee Achieves is founded on um, the idea that um, community service matters. We have a community service component for our students. We have a 9,000 person volunteer program. I know that all of you serve on boards of nonprofits um, and that you're all extremely involved in the communities where you live. Um, Randy, I know the, the community service idea was your idea, so maybe we can start with you. But anyone that wants to, to chime in here, please feel free. But why is, it, why is community service important? Why is it important that you give back and serve the community? Well, I want to just maybe give a bit of historical uh, reference to how we ended up with a community service component. I've always said that uh, I've, it's easy for me to brag about Tennessee Achieves because it wasn't my idea and I don't do any of the work. It was mostly uh, Chrissy and Mike's idea and uh, Chrissy, for the most part, and you, Graham, and the, your team do all the work. The one thing I like to take a, a touch of credit for is the community service piece because I grew up in Boy Scouts and in Boy Scouts, every time you do a badge, earn a badge, you have to do a community service project. And so I thought when we created this, if we're going to be doing this for these uh, students and they should be doing something back for the community and we'll ask for a day's worth of community service. But um, it's so important for us all to give back. I think we're all more blessed than we sometimes uh, remember and to give back to those that uh, to our community and others that may be less fortunate. Uh, I think it's just important about uh, something for all of us to do. And we're hopeful, you know, through the community service uh, component of Tennessee Achieves that People um, meet their obligation because they're required to, but through the process, fall in love with the, uh, the idea of giving back and either give back to those organizations they do during the Tennessee Achieves experience or um, decide on, on another one. But it becomes a, a lifetime habit, like I know it is for, for Chrissy and Mike. Mayor Chrissy, do either of you like to add anything? Why is it important to give back to your community? President Reagan had a great saying. We're not here just to bide our time. We're here to make a difference. And you make a difference not only by working what I would call your job, but you also make a difference by volunteering outside your job in your community. Right now, when we find ourselves in a really trying time in this country, we're going to get through it, not because we're necessarily smarter than everybody. We're going to get through it because we care about everybody and we'll encourage each other and we'll work together to make things better. And if you want to have a really great American community and a really great country, you've got to care. You've got to volunteer outside of your own job, outside of your comfort level sometimes to help people. And if you can do that, I'm convinced we can accomplish virtually anything. So that community service piece that Randy uh, really brought to this program has, goes a long way, I think, in inspiring young people to volunteer, to be active in their community and to make a difference. And so that's what volunteering in my mind is all about, making a difference in other people's lives. And when you do that, it changes you as well. You learn so much when you volunteer and you see other people and, and there's 
struggles, their tribulations, their achievements, and all those together, I think what is what really defines us as a community and what makes us better. Yeah, I would echo what Randy and the mayor said and only add that I love how eye-opening it is for our students. 2.76 million hours given back since we launched 12 years ago and the number continues to rise every year, which is incredibly exciting. I think it's, it's eye-opening for students as they submit their community service. We ask for a very small reflection on what they did. And it's Wonderful to read how students have really gained insight into what it is to be homeless, what it is to have food insecurity, all these different aspects maybe of their community that they grew up in, uh, spent 18 plus years in, and never really fully understood the needs of the community at large. And so I think heightening awareness is incredibly important. And also, as Randy and, and the mayor both said, we're hoping to cultivate lifelong giving. So this is not only just a requirement for a scholarship, but we hope that you find your niche and you become inspired. I also really love that companies across the state have opened their doors for job shadowing opportunities for students. I think about as a first generation student, I really thought you could do five things with a college degree. I still went, it was incredibly important, but I really didn't understand what you could do with a college credential. And I think that's an incredibly important component of community service, finding your passion, finding what you would like to pursue as a career. And it's certainly been an amazing component of the community service aspect of the work. Chris, you just talked a little bit about being a first-generation college student. And I think all three of you have mentioned it at some point in, now, at some point in time now on this webinar. I've heard you talk about before, as you were navigating your college career, how being a first-generation college student, you felt like you were the only one. You weren't. You kind of kept that to yourself, and now you wear that as a badge of honor. Can you talk a little bit about that process, transforming from being maybe a little embarrassed by it to now you're very proud of that? And as you lead Tennessee Achieves, what did what did your experiences as a first-generation college student? How do you keep that at the forefront of what you're doing? I think as an 18-year-old at Swanee, I was incredibly outside of my comfort zone. Uh, fairly certain still that I was in 1997, the only person at Swanee that was a first-generation college student, certainly of my friends. Uh, my dad drives dirt race cars and my mom, much like the mayors, didn't finish high school and has worked in a factory her whole life. Both were amazing, supportive parents, but I lacked the background and I lacked the knowledge and I sort of was trying to fake it. So no one would, I, I was so worried that I was sort of wearing it like all over me all the time. Um, but I had a lot of fire in my belly. I still have a lot of fire in my belly. I was incredibly determined. Um, I felt like I had a lot to prove. And so um, out of luck and, and with a lot of support, I made it to the other side and there was this moment when we launched Knox Achieves and the mayor and Randy were there to witness it, um, where I realized that it was my job not to be the smartest in the room because I never was, but to really set the example that I'd come out on the other side and had found success and found something I was incredibly passionate about and wanted to work really hard uh, for. And so I wanted to be, um, <laughs> this sounds probably crazy, but I wanted to help other students find that passion. And I wanted to be 
um, inspiring on some level, not that students want to be like me, but that my journey perhaps allows students to realize that there is something on the other side. So I think in many ways it was setting the example. Um, and now I, I'm so grateful to my parents who I think about now when I received my acceptance letter to Swanee, I was I, like, I floated out to the garage where my dad was to tell him and this look on his face that I couldn't identify at the time. But now like, I realized it was like terror of how they were going to pay for it. And, and somehow they've, they figured it out. And so it's, it's incredibly humbling for me. And I, I want to share that story with students. So they realize that they're not the only one and, and there's certainly a support system to listen and to, to help show them the way. Mayor, I've heard your story about growing up in Cleveland, Tennessee and packing up the car with one of your best friends to go to UT. And eventually at UT, you were awarded the Torchbearer um, Award with the highest honor for a, an undergraduate student at UT. Um, but talk to us a little bit about being a first generation college student and how that shaped you throughout your career. I tell you from uh, first day at UT to a Torchbearer was an incredibly magnificent journey. And I was so fortunate and blessed, but I have to really give a great deal of the credit uh, to my mom and dad. Neither one of them had an opportunity to go to college. It wasn't an option that was on the table for either of them. And they worked so very hard to put me in a position to have that opportunity. I was pretty driven because if college wasn't going to work, my fallback position was going back to Cleveland and my old job at washing cars at Benton Pontiac and Buick. Well, I was glad to have that job at the time. I knew it wasn't a great career path. So was there a little bit of pressure to succeed? Yes, for two reasons. One, I knew personally I needed it and wanted to do it. But secondly, I didn't want to let my mom and dad down. And I'll never forget during some rough patches early on when I didn't know if I could achieve it or not, I would call my dad and he would always give me encouragement and tell me, just do the best you can. Your mom and I believe in you and we think you can make this work. And when we started the Knox Achieves program, that was sort of the premise. Uh, we People in our office who their parents had never been to college before, they had this opportunity. We wanted to give that to others, an opportunity to succeed, someone there to encourage you, your mentor, your parents, whomever it may be. So, yes, I mean, I look back on that with some really fond memories. Uh, and again, so much thanks to my mom and dad for helping me get there. When you look at it now, I wonder what my life had been like if they had not given me that opportunity. Certainly things wouldn't have turned out as well as they did, but I feel very fortunate and very blessed. And that's what we want to do with the uh, Tennessee Achieves Tennessee Promise Program. Give people an, a great opportunity to succeed and have a better life. Consequently, we hope they learn from that and help others down the road to accomplish the same thing. Yes, sir. I think you touched on that support piece, which is so, so important. And it sounds like both Chrissy and you had that with your parents. Randy, talk to us a little bit about your college journey. I don't think I know anyone else that graduated college at 19. Most of us were, were doing good to graduate high school by 19. Um, but tell us a little bit about being a first-generation college student yourself, um, how that helped shape you as you went throughout your career. Well, you know, I didn't really think so much about being different, being a first-generation at the time, because I think a lot of other students in at the University of Tennessee when I was there were first generation. It wasn't something that people talked about quite so much then, at least I don't remember the conversation, but uh, I was just proud to be able to go. My A lot of my friends at high school were going, and so I felt like you know, I wanted to be up here with them. I had very supportive parents, even though they didn't 
have a college degree, they, uh, at least my mother, encouraged me to go. My dad, while he wasn't quite sure that it was great uh, value for money, he gave me the opportunity to pay my way through. And I always felt that was incredibly fortunate that I had a dad that had a, a business that I could go work for and at minimum wage be able to uh, uh, pay my way through. So I was very thankful for, for that opportunity. Um, but for me, you know, being having that opportunity to, to pay my way through to get a, a college degree, uh, it was it was something that I thought was uh, was very very special, and that's a, a big part of why I've been so passionate about giving back through Tennessee Achieves. I want other young people to have the same opportunity that I did, and you know, not everybody has a situation where their dad can give them a job, or they can pay their way through, or a mom that will encourage them as my mom did. And so for those, I think it's important for us to to provide that extra bit of support. Um, and one of the reasons why I love being a, a mentor as well, be able to be there for some uh, young student uh, to give them that, uh, not only the technical advice, but that word of encouragement and uh, let them know that uh, someone uh, believes in them and believes in their ability to, to, to be successful. One of the things that I think oozes out of all three of you listening to your response to that question um, is humility. Um, every one of you just answered that question in an extremely humble way and talked about the incredible support systems that you had in place. And it's something we haven't talked much about so far today. Why is it important um, that you remain humble through your successes, through your failures, through your careers? Um, why is humility such an important aspect um, of being a leader? Anyone that would like to tackle that one? I don't think anyone likes arrogance. Um, when you look at someone who's arrogant, I don't just don't think that goes over very well. And being humble, I think is very important. I can recall three times in my life, two times I had so many good things going on when people would come up to me and say, congratulations. There were so many good things going on at that point in time. I really didn't know which one they were talking about. There was another time in my life where people come up to me and say, hey, I'm sorry for some of the troubles you're going through. And consequently, there were so many bad things going on at that particular time. I didn't know which one they were talking about then either. I can assure you, I learned a lot more, a whole lot more from the time that I was having those trials and tribulations that I did during the times of great successes. I think being humble is a great quality in leadership. It shows that you care. You've experienced some downsides. You know what it's like to be in other people's shoes and you can empathize with their feelings. So I think that humbleness trait is absolutely critical to great leaders. If you don't have it, I don't think you're going to ever be as successful as you can be. And people can see right through that. Yes, sir. Anybody else want to tackle that one? Well, I mean, I think for me, uh, I realized long ago that especially at Tennessee Achieves, the mission is much larger than me. And it really takes the amazing team to all pull in the same direction, to be student focused, to be mission driven. So our mission is, is so much bigger than me. Uh, so it's it's really easy for me to to find humility in the space because we're all in this together and it's all about creating a greater good for our state uh, and certainly on an individual level to help students reach their potential and to perhaps break a family cycle. I think it's also really important, especially talking about leadership, if you come from a place of humility, you set your ego aside and realize that, as, as the mayor and Randy have both said, um, people are smarter than you and they have really great ideas. And it's hard to see that if you're not, again, sort of focused on mission, for us, focused on students. 
And so uh, also coming from the background I, I came from, I mean, I walked to my first job when I was 14 to make snow cones at the ball field. So um, I, I, I still sort of pinch myself that I, I've made it where I have. And I just have an incredibly um, grateful sense of I get to wake up every day and do something I love and also um, have the ability to help people. Yeah, I can't really add too much to what the, both um, Mike and Chrissy have already said. The only thing I'll, I'll say is I remember a comment that my uncle shared with me when I was very young. They said that the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And I've kind of found that when I was in, in college and, and, and everything else I've, I've, I've done. Every time you peel one layer back, you find 10 more other things that you need to know. And so it makes you realize that uh, anybody that acts they know everything probably knows very, very little. Uh, and so I've kind of always reminded myself of that. And uh, and uh, I think to, to Mike and Chrissy's point of view or points that they said, uh, being arrogant just doesn't come across very well. If you, uh, it's not, it's it's going to be a very off-putting if you're trying to work with others. If you come across as arrogant, people appreciate people that are that recognize their uh, maybe their limitations, and we all have uh, limitations. And uh, being being honest about that. Is make, makes you approachable and people uh, feel more comfortable following you. This is about leadership and people uh, follow humble leaders more so than they do arrogant leaders for the most part. Graham, I also yes, think it's about setting the example. Having worked now for both Randy and the mayor, I remember very early in my days thinking I was like a morning person and I had to be the first one in the office, um, in the mayor's office to show the mayor I was committed and I was more than a 25 year old that I really wanted to be there. And I was working really hard and it became competitive. I wanted to beat him there because he was always the first one in the office. Um, and so that work ethic and setting the example, I think is something that has been incredibly important to me. Um, Randy, I, I tell people often, I'm still chasing him 12 years into our relationship. He's always up before me. He runs marathons or so many different things, but They've both set an incredible example of what it is um, to lead from a place of humility. And I think that's what I've tried to do with the team that we've built here. Also, I still try to be the first one in the office. I still try to set the example. And that's a leadership trait that I learned from the two of them. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. So we wrap up these webinars with the same three questions for everybody. So we'll call this, we're, we're getting short on time. We'll call this the rapid fire round. Um, if you want to just answer in just a sentence or two, um, and then we will wrap it up. Um, but what is one thing, Randy, we'll start with you. What's one thing that you know now that you didn't know in college that you wish that you knew? I think I would just make sure that when I was uh, uh, studying that I focused on how it would apply the things I was learning versus just worrying too much about the GPA. I know that when I was in college, I, I lived and died by my GPA and stressed so much about it. And since I graduated, nobody's ever asked me once what my GPA was. So uh, enjoy the experience. Make sure you're learning uh, to learn, not to, to make a grade. Mayor? I would say this. Encourage those around you. I think you can make a real difference in other people's lives through a little bit of encouragement, but it also is a great blessing in your life as well. So when you see somebody struggling, a fellow student, uh, a faculty or staff member, you know, speak to them, have a good day, tell them that, uh, that, that you care about what they're doing, encourage others, because when you do that, that blessing comes both ways. Chrissy? 
I would say reach out for help. I mean, I don't know anyone who didn't struggle their first semester of college. You know this, Graham. Mine was like a bona fide nightmare. And so uh, reach out for help. Find that place of humility to say, I don't have all the answers. I don't know that I can do this on my own. I mean, I had a professor, Dr. John Bordley, that took me under his wing, and I'm fairly certain I would have wouldn't have made it on the other side of that first semester had he not seen my struggle. And so asking for help, I think, is incredibly important and really brave and courageous. So the next question I was going to ask you guys was, what is your biggest piece of advice for students? But you all three did a really good job of wrapping that into what you wish you had known. So I'm going to skip that one for now so we can finish on time. Um, and this is my favorite question uh, of the that we ask our panelists every time. Um, Randy, we'll just keep going in the same order. Um, if you weren't the president at the University of Tennessee right now, if you could do anything in the world, regardless of skill, time, money, uh, what would you do? Well, uh, I think I would probably go back to being a Boy Scout master. Actually, I think I'd be an assistant Boy Scout master, so I'd be in charge of doing all the all the fun things without having to organize it all. But just find other ways to give back and and working with uh, with uh, students and youth in some way to to help make a difference in their lives. Great, Mayor. When I started at the University of Tennessee, I wanted to be a teacher and perhaps a coach because so many people in high school. Uh, so many teachers had influenced me in, in, in playing sports. The coaches influenced me as well. So that was my goal. I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. So if I had could do something different today, that's what I would do. Really good answer. Chrissy? So I would say um, to be the executive director of America Achieves, but then Randy would say that that's small thinking. So I'm going to go with executive <laughs> director of World Achieves would be my dream goal, where every student – across the country or across the world, see country, world, Randy, um, had the opportunity to pursue a post-secondary degree and come out on the other side with uh, a better way of life. I expected nothing less. Big <laughs> <laughs> goals, right? <laughs> Mayor, I really thought you might join me as a professional golfer. That's what I always tell people, uh, but I don't have that ability or talent. You know, Graham, I, I can't believe you brought that up because that was going to be my second choice. But for those who have seen me play, that would have been too much of a stretch for anyone to even consider. So I didn't want to live in a fantasy world. So I just thought I'd better stick to something I thought I might could pull off successfully. Hey, we said no constraints and big goals, right? <laughs> Should have said golfer then. <laughs> Well, I want to thank um, all three of you, Randy Boyd, Mike Ragsdale, Christy Alejandro. Thank you all for joining us today um, as we discuss leadership. Thank you for being here and thank you for giving your time. Thank you, Graham. Appreciate Thanks, Graham. it very much.